Hi, you're listening to Celluloid Cards Wallop with James and Gemma. Sit down and enjoy yourself, grab a snack and have some fun. Welcome to this week's Celluloid Codswallop, the corner of Talking Codswallop, where we sit and discuss films and people who work in films and the entertainment industry. And this week, I am so lucky, and I do mean this sincerely and wholeheartedly, I'm incredibly lucky because I'm joined by the wonderful, talented Laura Summer. Laura, thank you so much for coming oh, to talk to me. you're welcome. Now, my first question is, Laura, if you can please tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, okay. you know, school education. Who was Laura when she was a little girl? That, that sort of thing. A little loudmouth. Um, <laughs> 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 it was funny. I saw a little girl. I was walking with my friend yesterday, and this little, I don't know, four-year-old girl was walking with sunglasses and wheeling a carriage. You know, it was like a doll carriage, and <laughs> she had red curls. And I thought, and I said to the parents. Oh my God, that's like little mini me. And they don't know how they took it because it's <laughs> right. But I was, I, she was just had so much personality and, um, you know, just little girl walking to the mall and, um, you know, full of beans. And so that's, that's what I was. And, um, I hope to still have that currently. <laughs> Um, and where did you grow up? Where were you? Uh, I grew originally? up in uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. So I grew, that's where I grew up in a in a borough of New York City. So um, lots cr- lots of crowd crowded area. You know, not the country or anything like that. No. Because no. <laughs> I've I've never I've never grown up in a city. I live out in sort of the, um, the hills where I live, and I've always sort of lived in sort of, sort of well, farmland-style areas. So what would you say is Sheep? The, a lot of sheep out there? Yeah. <laughs> like in the movies. Not. Yes, yes, because <laughs> the field across from me, I'll tell you what I'll do at some point, I'll send you a picture, but the field across from me is full of sheep, and, you know, we get cattle, but it's proper sort of Dales area that I live in, the Yorkshire Dales, so it's very much, you know, ro- uh, rolling green hills, as they say. Within Yorkshire, they describe it as God's own county. So, oh, wow. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's very picturesque. So my question is going to be, what, what sort of schooling did you go to? What, what sort of schools did you attend as a child? Uh, public school, New York City public mm-hmm. schools, a crowd, overcrowded. Back then they were complaining about no money for the arts like they do now or cutting out this, cutting out that. You know, when I grew up, it wasn't about the kids. You know, yeah. like now everything, you know, the parents, so many parents are helicopter parents and hover and, you know, <laughs> at least that's here. <laughs> but when I grew up, it was like, oh, you know, it wasn't like that at all. So it wasn't like I was going to dance class or taking ballet or, you know, um, there wasn't a lot of interest in that or money for that. And, um 
But I graduated high school early and I went to college for a year and a half. And I was really anxious to, you know, be an actress. And Mm -hmm. I convinced my parents to let me move to Manhattan because they had left New York. And um, they let me do that and help me. I was only 18. So that's kind of young. Um and that's what I did. And I started taking classes in New York and trying to figure out how to make my way to make a living as an actress. <laughs> a waitress, like, you know, everybody else does in the beginning. <laughs> and it's interesting because you were ta- saying how, like, you, you didn't do sort of the dance classes and the things like that. Did you ever have an inkling as a child of what you wanted to do for a career? Oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to be Shirley Temple. I, uh, That's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because she was the only little girl I saw in those old movies, you know. Yeah. You know, so I would, they would have those late night movies or on Saturday or Sunday. And so being a little girl and she sang and she tap danced and she had the only similarity I had to Shirley Temple was I had curls. But um, <laughs> And I was cute, but that was, I didn't tap dance. <laughs> I, I, did, I did sing, but so that was my role model, kind of. But there was no nothing like putting me on that path um, no. until much later. And then when I moved to Manhattan, I uh, started taking classes and um, trying to, you know, figure out how, how do I make a living at this? You were saying prior to acting, you obviously work doing the job that you hear a lot of people who, you know, getting into acting do, which is working in a restaurant and right. things like that. How, how did you find that? Was that an enjoyable experience? I liked it. Well, I actually did because, you know, I talked to people and it just, well, my first job was working in Times Square in a coffee shop and mm-hmm. that was crazy at six in the morning. And that wasn't me. I mean, I am not an early person and it was the only job I could get. Because I didn't have a waitress experience. So I think first they started me as I was a hostess. And then I convinced them to let me try, you know, waiting on tables. And I was kind of terrible at it at first because in these kind of coffee shops, everything has a code name, you know, like, you know, they don't say toast. They'll say, I don't know. Really? Yeah. So they, and and I don't remember all the lingo anymore, thank goodness. But, um, you know, I met these actors who would come in for lunch every day who were commercial actors. And they Mm. were old, a lot older. And they would go on calls. And then they would meet at the Howard Johnson's and have lunch. And they, because I started telling people I was an actress. I was an actress now I hadn't done anything so like one of them sent me to their commercial agent you know and then things like that that started to happen to me and then I changed jobs to work somewhere else because those hours that was never going to work from 6 a.m to 2 p.m that was not going to be me <laughs> so you know <laughs> I know the uh, jollies uh, for a job I had for a, a short while of doing the 4 a.m. shift. Oh, no. <laughs> a nightmare. The thing that I found interesting working at a 4 a.m. shift is as you are going to the job, you realize how incredibly different the world is at that time in the morning. Oh, yeah. So quiet, no traffic. Yeah, it's very different. 
Yeah, the only people I ever used to sort of see with uh, with the street cleaners coming to take away, well, I'll use an Americanism with the garbage collection people who would be right. taking all the rubbish away and uh, yes. cleaning sort of streets to prepare for the day ahead. And it's, it's quite, yes, very, it's so very quiet. true. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that sort of Shirley Temple, when yeah. you were younger, was the person who influenced you or was the person who, say, was the initial spark for you wanting to go into to acting. Is there anyone else as you got older? Because obviously you were still very young when you were doing the waitress. Um, yeah, let me think. Um, well, you know, I didn't really see it wasn't, you know, teenage heavy or children heavy you know the the entertainment stuff there was no disney channel you know i i would say people influenced me along the way you know and or i would see a great performance you know and when i started to get auditions like because i started getting commercial auditions first and then they would say oh you're like i don't know if your listeners will know who these people are but they would say like you're like Judy Holiday, or you're yeah, like Goldie Hawn, or yeah, yeah. you know when she was coming up, and because it was you know blonde at the time and perky, and um, I keep getting these reminders on the phone, you know I don't, <laughs> so I just um, and because we're talking iPhone to iPhone, and I believe, and um, so anyway, so I would you know they would have to categorize you like we want this type or that type, so. I started to, when I heard Judy Holiday, I didn't know who she was. And then I saw some of her old movies, like Born Yesterday, Jean Harlow, they talked yeah, about. Yeah. So like Dinner at Eight. And then I got into the the accents because like uh, Jean Harlow and like Dinner at Eight, she's doing a very kind of New York kind of thing you know and um and i started to see oh i can do that and so i would say those you know ladies of film uh mm. influenced me and goldie hahn was just more of an energy kind of you know wide-eyed innocent thing that she was doing uh when she broke out on the scene and goldie hahn is thinking back to some of the films she did i mean for me it's things like private benjamin ben, exactly just and, what a film i mean right. absolutely brilliant and she and she's still she's not working as much now she's would you say semi-retirement but i love the stuff she's done i can see you know, well, they're real, doing, real... they just announced something with bet midler and diane keaton the three of them are doing oh, a movie. Yeah. it's not uh the first wives club it's no. going to be it's the same cast but it's going to be I think there had been all sort of a similar premise in that they had all been married to the same man who dies and they Ah. all get together. And so, but it's, I don't know, you know, women of those, you know, I guess she's in her seventies, you know, there's not a lot for those ladies. There's just, there's not, you know, just a lot of parts. Now, they do say that, that, that is a real problem. And yeah. predominantly, sadly, it's, it is more of an issue for women, for women. as they get older. Yeah, because you uh, could be Harrison Ford, and they'll, who's, you know, that <laughs> age, and then they'll put you with a 35-year-old, you yeah, know? It's, um, uh, I, I've, ne- I've never understood that. <laughs> to me, that well, makes no good. sense. Well, right? that's welcome, welcoming to hear. <laughs> well, I, I remember talking to one of my friends saying that, you know, we were discussing, I can't remember what film it was that was being made, but I said, 
you you can bet money that what they'll do is they'll take this actor who was saying he's in his sixties and they'll stick him with a, a girlfriend who's probably like in a, like late twenties or early thirties. Exactly. It's, they it, do it on TV all the time too. You just watching. Um, do you guys get Larry David curb your enthusiasm? Oh, that, yes. Okay, oh, so so Richard Lewis brings on Ira Fisher <laughs> as his girlfriend, and you know that's got to be at least thirty years different. And they don't. It's like just typical, you know. I mean, it's just. Uh, it's also very Hollywood too. It's not like yeah. you don't see that in Beverly Hills because so many girls, you know, will come here with that intention. Mm-hmm. So you know, and the men are so flattered. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, and and I, because I said to a guy, what do you, what do they talk about, you know? And he goes, well, they don't yeah. have to talk. I mean, they just, you know. <laughs> In Richard's defense, though, he always loves them, though, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he goes, my girlfriend actually played his, my girlfriend Robin McDonald played one of his dates. On an earlier show who has uh, he wants to take her, I think, to an award show, but she has a peanut allergy and she can't um, go because she blows up. (laughs) So, um, But uh, that was a nice experience for her. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's always in love with them, isn't he? <laughs> he's always going to say that he's going to marry them. Right, right. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Now, in 1982, you had a role of Jane in the film Girls' Night Out. Can you tell me about that production? Uh, what sort of memories stick out? Yeah, it was like, a horror movie that I did, yeah, and it was called a few. Th- it was first released as a scare maker I think and we were teenagers so for me it was they weren't shooting a lot in New York at the time and so it was a big deal to get a movie hmm. a feature yeah <laughs> it was and um it was one of those you know the people who were producing it were not producers and they stood around with a stopwatch <laughs> to make sure they got, you know, you had one take of everything. So they did that, except when there was a girl, uh, like a stripper in a bar. They didn't have a stopwatch that day, I remember. Uh, well. <laughs> I kept reading that over and over again. <laughs> I'm saying but, nothing. <laughs> yeah. But I met a lot of nice kids, and we had a lot of fun. So it wasn't too... Uh, I, I got killed. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but I, I was going to say horrific, but I rest that sounds like a really bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> no, they made like a thing for me, like for my, you know, to be strangled. They got like, a prosthetic around my neck and I had to go get fitted for that. And that was new. I that had never done that before. So doing any of these things when you get a part and you get to do something different it's really fun. I mean, it's quite a thing also, I guess, for a learning experience to go straight into a feature film. And you get to see how, you know, how it's all made and what, what the processes, uh, <laughs> processes involve, really. Right, right. This was a low-budget movie compared yeah. to other films that I've been on, and mm-hmm. it is very different. It is very, very different. But, the like, the first commercial I ever did was with Luciano Pavarotti and um, for American Express, and... And uh, they had champagne and lobster and steak. And I thought, oh, 
this is how it is. <laughs> this is how it is on a set. I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's one hell of an advert to land. Right? No, I had two commercials back-to-back very, very early in my career. And the f- one was with Paul Newman, and they flew me to the Bahamas. And the other one was Luciano Pavarotti. And I thought, well, this is show business is for me. <laughs> Wow. So did you get to interact with both Pavarotti and Paul Newman? Yes, I did. Um, You know, they're next to me. Paul Newman, that commercial, it was more like observing. He was drinking his coffee, watching two. uh, I I was a teenage girl with my little Mm -hmm. sister playing in a, a swimming pool. So they flew mm-hmm. me to the Bahamas to go to a pool there. I don't know why, but it's like, but I, that's where they shot I, it. And, I wouldn't um, know that. <laughs> yeah, right. So we weren't, we didn't really speak. No, like I spoke to his makeup person who was a very famous makeup, who traveled with him everywhere. One of the Westmores mm. who, it's funny, sent me a photo took up like a Polaroid of us and but I don't know what my mother did with it you know she didn't like clutter so she probably threw Ah. it (laughs) but Luciano he was all over me and I didn't know what to do I mean he was just very grabby and um you know uh I just they said something to him you know but like and I just giggled because I just didn't it was a different time and I didn't know Hmm. what to do and I guess the problem is because he's such a you know, big star, the the things that you don't really know how to react. Right. Well, it was, I knew he was, it wasn't, he wasn't that, he got much more famous to Americans later, but, you know, I knew that he was famous, but also it was just in, it was weird because it was in front of people. It was just so Uh right in front of people. He was putting his tongue in my ear and, you know, so I was like, yeah, but you know, they said something and uh, they stopped. You know, it was like that. So that was my interaction with him. Um, and you know, being on such a big budget commercial, you know, too, it was very different than you know some of the other things. I mean, every job you get is different. That's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I think your uh, interaction with Paul Newman was a lot better and more preferable than the interaction with Pavarotti. I wish I had talked to Paul Newman. You know, I wish I yeah. had. And later, he did these commercials, you know, movie stars, it was very secretive to be doing a commercial at that time, you know. And uh, later I heard uh, from some actor that his wife had gotten a com- one of the also commercial. It was uh, Maxwell House Coffee. And oh, had yeah. got and yeah and and she was told not to speak to him and i this was after mine and i thought oh no was it something i said but i realized i never spoke i never really spoke to him but hi you know it wasn't like i i asked him you know how is geraldine page to work with mm. or um you know tell me about joanne woodwork you know i didn't yeah. didn't i you know i just was like cool i was cool <laughs> well, that's that's good. I would probably just been very starstruck, stand, standing there and staring. So. Right. Well, he does have he had those eyes that people talk about, you know, yeah. like. But so did Ray. So does Ray Liotta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ray Liotta does have. Yeah, he does. He's in person. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, I always heard on, on Newman, the amazing story, one of the things I'm into myself is watches. And I was chatting to a guy who'd been at the auction of Paul Newman's Rolex Daytona, oh. uh, which has become, I think, one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive watch ever sold. Oh, and wow. I, I couldn't quite believe it went for millions upon millions upon millions. It might have been like 15 million all in. And it doesn't even work. <laughs> it's a non-working watch. Oh, and they cannot fix it to work? I don't Well, I think it can be fixed, but it's whether you would risk touching it, if you understand, and taking it apart. Oh, right. Sure. But yeah, a very strange thing to hear on that. That is wild. To spend all that money on a <laughs> I know, but people do, you know, the auction houses and, you know, celebrity in Beverly Hills and, mm-hmm. um, and New York City, you know, the estate of whether it's Burt Reynolds or Michael Jackson or, you know, mm-hmm. it's very valuable. Now, I'm going to have to be the not very well informed Englishman here and ask you about two huge staples of American television culture i guess which are the fact that in 1983 and 84 you were in the facts of life right. and you were also in in night court now i have a vague understanding of them but they're not very well known in the united kingdom so could you tell me a bit about both those jobs and well, what, what happened sure. with them? uh Please. well they were tv guest stars and i had come out to uh, Los Angeles, and I auditioned for Facts of Life, which is about girls in boarding school. And they asked me if I could cry on cue, and I said sure. But when I looked at the script, it wasn't like it was like Lucille Ball crying, you know, it was like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like the big, big tears. crying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get into college, and um. So and then they liked me um on Facts of Life, and then they had me back. I did three or four shows, and then they were talking spinoff. It was a big show. It was a big mm. show here, and um. Then I did Night Court, and that was another guest spot. I was a groupie. I played groupies a few times. And uh, it was just it was just fun. I didn't stay in L.A., though. I went back to New York City. And, yeah, it was a good time. But if yeah, you don't cause... know the shows, it's kind of like, it's, uh, let's see, um, you know, they were very big United States shows. Yeah, because, I mean, I, my note, it's a bit hard for me to describe them to listeners. Uh, I've seen bits of them, but I would ask and suggest anybody who has built it sort of like hunt them out because i know something from night court uh see the actor is, is richard mole was on them yes he was. It. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and john larroquette was on them as john well. john larroquette so, uh-huh yeah, yeah, yeah so exactly would know i have some absolutely. news that i've heard too you know for the fans of uh digimon which oh, was yeah now for me the big thing that I know you from is from working on the real Ghostbusters where right. you played Janine, which for me, when I'm having this conversation with you, I keep thinking in the back of my mind that I'm having a conversation with Janine. It's oh, should I talk like Janine? <laughs> you can I can talk want. like Janine if you want. <laughs> we could do the whole interview like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so obviously you got the part of playing Janine on the real Ghostbusters, and I wonder if you could tell me a bit about what the casting process was uh, for going uh, into that. Yeah, it was like I had come out to Los Angeles, and I knew an agent, and I went up to meet him, and he said, I'm going to send you over to this place and I said okay and I, they had seen uh, a lot of people for this part and they gave me basically a monologue to read and they didn't ask me to do it in a New York accent or anything didn't know the movie of Ghostbusters um, right. which had come out I mean, I heard of it and stuff, but it wasn't like I was, you know, they said do it like the movie. There was no voice match or anything like that. And it was sort of like, so I auditioned for it. And then a little time went by and they said, you got, uh, I think, like 65 episodes or something like that of the show. And I had no real idea of what that was. I had never even auditioned for a cartoon mm-hmm. series before because in, I had done a lot of voiceover work in New York City, but we didn't really Back then, there was not much animation or anything. And so when I got to the uh, job, oh, I think right before I got, they sent me a cassette of my audition. Mm-hmm. And I'm just speaking like, hello, Ghostbusters, please hold. Well, I'll put you right through. I mean, it was like that. Very yeah. sweet, normal, secretarial stuff. And then... They decided when I got there, they said, could you do a New York accent? And I said, well, yeah, I can. can." (laughs) (laughs) My mother's from Brooklyn. I grew up in Queens, you know. So that's where they took me. uh, And they from the very first show to do it that way. So that was the audition process. And then Mm -hmm. I uh, started with one director who they fired pretty quickly uh, because it took like a whole day to do one episode and then animation, everything was very fast. You don't rehearse, you just read through the script. Maybe they explain it. Maybe you'll pick up a line or something, but you know, they'll tell you kind of what's going on in the show. And sometimes you'll get a copy of the episode beforehand to read through, and sometimes not, you know, most often not. And you just wait, you just go. Wow. So when you were recording, would you be, I mean, obviously you'd have the recording crew with you, uh, but did you record alone or did you interact with the No, you interact most, back then especially, yeah. With animation, they like to do the whole cast in the room together. So it was Frank Welker, Maurice LaMarche, Arsenio Hall, and Lorenzo Music, and myself. And I don't think you can ask for much more in the, in the cast. No, the I did, but I, like you know, I didn't know anything. Like I, like, I barely knew how to get to the valley, you know, like, which in Los Angeles, where they were recording. Everything was like, oh, my God, and how do I do that? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic cast. And it's funny, I recently listened to somebody posted some some episode and it was like Ghost RS. And I and I was doing the lead. They didn't hire another actress to do the other ghost and I was doing Janine also and I went I was really good I mean (laughs) I was really good on this I didn't know what I was doing because it was very early on I believe and um, I definitely thought wow you definitely sound like two different people I mean I would have no no fear that you wouldn't do but (laughs) it was a bit different when you yourself are measuring against your own work I guess 
Well, it was a long time ago. So to hear it and I go, and I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I was like 20 years old. And I, so then to hear it and I go, oh, wow, that was really good. And I was thinking of Alice Ghostly in Bewitched was a TV series oh, when I yeah, did that ghost. Yeah. yeah, that's who I was thinking of as an image because you get like, an, and they are allowed to, uh, get you to do more than one voice if you can. So they like to do that, you know? Um, but anyway, that's was the audition process. And I was very fortunate to work with those wonderful guys. And when you're working on the real Ghostbusters, you work with Lorenzo music. Yes. I got that right. Yes. And now my understanding of Lorenzo is he was quite a private man. Yes. Um, what was he like as a person? So generous, so sweet. You know, he felt, I felt very like, oh, I have a daddy here, you know, like somebody to help me, you know, guide me a little bit, you know, if I had questions and, you know, about the process or, you know, how to get home, you know, like which way to go. <laughs> you know, you could ask him anything. And he was a very <laughs> successful producer. And before he got into voiceovers, you know, he produced the Smothers Brothers show and he was a showrunner for the Rota show and uh, I think for the Mary Tyler Moore show. And then he was Carlton the doorman on the Rota show. And that's how he got it sort of started doing voiceovers because he, he just did one voice. But it was fantastic. And, and then year, he passed away. And years later, I did the Garfield show, which Lorenzo used to play Garfield. They hired Frank Welker to do Lorenzo's voice. And it's incredible. I mean, he, Frank Welker can imitate anybody. But, I mean, when I heard it from the outside of the booth, you know, before, I, wasn't, I wasn't in the room and I could just voice. And I went, oh, my, that's Lorenzo. But it was Frank Welker doing Lorenzo. And it made me really happy because I know that Lorenzo loved Frank Welker. And, you know, yeah. if anyone was going to do him, he would like that. It's wonderful to see that it sort of goes full circle. You get to work with the people again. Um, right. One question I, was, I wanted to ask about was you got to work with Arsenio Hall. Is he always on, if you understand what I mean? Because he's, you know, he's a comedian. Um, you know, he hadn't done the talk show yet. And, you know, we used to give each other back massages in between when they were having script issues or something. He, he was really, he was nice. I've not seen him since, but I, I've seen, I saw Maurice recently. I've seen Frank the most because I work with him on Garfield. But you see, he was really nice. Frank is actually over in the UK at a convention. Uh, oh. Understand. oh, yeah. Uh, he's starting to do those, which he didn't do any of that for years. You know, he just did not do it any of that kind of stuff so yeah wow um he's a great guy one yeah well I've, I've never heard a bad thing about him so it's nice to say that you know <laughs> that you've got the same sort of positive memories oh yeah uh, no he's wonderful and i always would put my i always in ghostbusters and garfield i would sit next to him because if I didn't understand anything, like, or I couldn't, they would, sometimes they'll direct and they'll just give you a person's name. Like, they'll say, Julia Child. <laughs> like, and that's how some people direct, because they mm -hmm. want you to do a character like, you know, if you're doing an incidental character, not the regular characters you do. Like, on Garfield, I was the twins, Drusilla and Minerva. Yeah. So, 
you know, but sometimes I would have to do, uh, let's say a neighbor lady or something. And, uh, the director would say, well, do it like Julia Child and, or do it like Maury Amsterdam or something. And I would go, who's that? I don't know. And then Frank would tell me that, you know, or he would do it like a little bit for me and as I wouldn't get the reference, you know, um, the Dick Van Dyke show. So, and, and also it's like sitting next to the King. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I always like to have my chair next to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's wonderful too that he's a sharing lovely person. Oh yeah. Lovely help. guy. Well, yeah. The, the guy's vocal skills, just amazing. Amazing. Yeah, do the a brook in a stream, do the sound of a stream running through a forest, and he'll come <laughs> up with something. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is. So speaking of, uh, you know, further voice for you, you were in a film that I always loved as a child called All Those Go to Heaven. I was? So you've gone... No, I wasn't in it. I don't no? think so. Did I do ADR on it? Maybe that's... You might have done ADR. That may yeah. be... Uh, yeah, I don't do a lot of, and what that is for your listeners is that's additional dialogue replacement. And right. um, so when you see people on the screen, let's say at a restaurant, and they're talking next to the stars and you see their mouths moving, they have to put dialogue into that, which you make up to fit mm-hmm. the mouth. And um, so that's part of ADR. Sometimes the star doesn't want to come in and do their own ADR, let's say they're running up a mountain and they need breaths and efforts of, you know, going up the mountain or jogging or something. They'll use a ADR group, which is could be, you know, four people. It could be 14 people. And so I've done that for years on movies. And it's a it's a great gig. Well, I wanted to ask you actually about working on ADR uh, later on. Now, I'm hoping my, I'm sorry I made a bit of a research boo-boo on that one. It's okay. (laughs) My next question, I'm hoping I've got this right then, is you're in two films that I have wonderful memories of watching, which uh, She's Out of Control, and you're also in Problem Child. Now, when you're in She's, She's Out of Control, that's a physical, actual, you know, physical acting, whereas the problem yes. shall have been voice work. Now, right. what would you say are the challenges and opportunities that both those sort of roles, those types of acting bring, the, you know, the different sorts of work? Well, I mean, you're doing the same thing, but you have to be aware of that they're shooting it so you can't turn away or you can't, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain physical responsibilities to do that. And... There I was hired to do one thing. I had worked with Stan Rigotti, the director from a commercial, and he brought me in. I think I auditioned for it, and then I made it up because it's like a joke I'm doing. like, uh, And it's sort of like the Janine voice, really, um, <laughs> screaming into the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> and so that was just a really fun day, and uh, I worked with a gal, Susan Isaacs, who, um, you know, we had done com- a commercial together. And so he liked the two of us together because we were very different. And, um, so did I answer your question? Uh, she's out of control was just another, was, was, I mean, uh, not she's, the other movie. What was the other? It was a uh, ADR. Problem. Yeah, Problem Child was ADR. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's, you know, I've done hundreds of ADR jobs. 
um, more TV series because you get on this like I did make it or break it so I don't know how many episodes 80 episodes of that you know when these shows get picked up I don't know if you have these shows um like the Disney Channel or, or ABC Family or Freeform and you get the show and then it gets picked up so then you have a steady job for a few years and that's really nice mm-hmm. now one of the thing that uh, I was going to ask you about that I have uh, memories of watching whether it was really ever aimed at someone because a child at the time was a pro a tv show called grace under fire um mm-hmm. which you were on have you got any stories about that not really i was only there like one week you know yeah. so yeah we've never heard from that actress much after that have no, we not uh, really no 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 she no. was a stand-up and yeah. um yeah but we haven't really heard much you know it was a perfectly pleasant uh week but i don't there was nothing crazy going on or what was her name something with a b it, um it unfortunately it's escaping me at the moment yeah. uh, as well but i do remember yeah. seeing her the last thing i really remember seeing her on was uh, my name is earl she was in oh, an episode okay. of that ah but yeah, that's the last sort of big thing I remember seeing her in. Um, yeah, no, she yeah. was nice, and I there was no drama that I could point to or, you know, give you anything juicy about that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, Laura, you are yes. coming to the UK later yes. this year in June. You are coming to uh, the Glasgow EctoCon, which will be the first, a European first, in fact, a solely Ghostbusters-based convention, which is being held in Glasgow. And it is also not only just a, an event for Ghostbusters, it's actually being done as a charity event to raise money for one of the hospitals. It's so children's if you could hospital. Tell us, yes, if you could tell me how you uh, became aware of it and what you'll be doing at it. Well... It's EctoCon 2020. It's June 20th, 2020. There are still some tickets left, but it will sell out. It is not a huge space. It holds, I think, 500 people, they told me. And I'm very excited. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And Jason Marsden is also going to join me, who I work mm-hmm. with on the Garfield show. And uh, he was on Extreme Ghostbusters. So a crazy coincidence. So we'll be doing a panel, the two of us, and we'll be signing pictures and whatever people want to bring and taking pictures with them. And uh, the money goes to a charity. The entrance fee all goes to the Children's Hospital there. And it's June 20th. And um, I urge you, if you are interested, to go to their website. Um, and they're on Facebook. They're on Twitter, Instagram, EctoCon 2020. And get your tickets and come come see us. And there's also a brilliant thing that you and Jason are doing where um, you can actually win a lunch with you, as I understand. Yeah, that was my idea. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> that was a brilliant my, idea. Right? I thought, I thought, let's. what could we do to raise some money that would be a really sp- special individual experience for somebody to have. And I thought, you know, one time, this is so crazy, when I was on my way to shoot that commercial with Paul Newman, and I was at the mm-hmm. airport, I got snowed in, and they sat me, they gave me a meal ticket, because they had to put me on a different plane, and they gave me a meal mm-hmm. ticket. And I ended up having 
dinner with J.D. Salinger. Wow. Yes, Holy but he didn't tell cow. me who he was. He didn't tell me who he was. It was he sat. So they sat me as a single girl and another an older woman and him. And he didn't tell us who he was till like the end of the meal because she kind of kept because he was very mysterious. And we can talk yeah, about that another yeah. time. But I thought, wow, I have such memories of that. It was such a unique and I'm not comparing myself to J.D. Salinger, but, you know, being with a well-known person with this with this interesting life. So I said to Fraser Cool, who's one of the organizers of the EctoCon, what do you think about this? You know, doing a, some kind of do a meal, a drinks, mm. a lunch. And, you know, would Jason want to do it? And um, so we came up with that, you know, and there's a special raffle. You can buy a raffle ticket, and the next day, which would be June 21st, we'll go to lunch with the winner, and they, you know, get to hang out for a while and ask us anything you want. I mean, I would strongly, strongly urge anyone who has any interest in Ghostbusters to attend this event. I think it's, I mean, I, I'm going to... For show business. I mean, Jason yeah, was a child absolutely, actor. Yeah. He has done a ton of stuff. I mean, he'll talk about other stuff sure you know but he has i mean his credits are amazing but yeah anyone who's got an interest in acting and just learning more about the wonderful people uh, who are going to be there <laughs> i would strongly say get yourself online get the ticket you're not going to regret it it looks to be a, a really good fun-filled day we get to meet actors and actresses you're also going to get to see lots of different events uh of, sorry well things that are being run within the event and there's even an after show party that's going on so, right a big party yeah. at night and which should be a lot of fun and there's a screening i think of cleaning the town cleaning up the town yeah the town, that's getting yeah. screened and uh, it's just, you know, packed full and it's just a one day event. So um, I'd love to meet you all and uh, get your tickets at EctoCon 2020. Absolutely. Well, on that note, we will draw this part of the interview to a close. Thank okay. you so much, Laura, for taking the time to speak to me. I look forward to catching with you to discuss further aspects of your career and life in the next interview. Thank that you very much. That would be much. great. Digimon. <laughs>